Let's get out to the zone phone. Joining us now, of course, from Basketball Insiders, he's our friend Steve uh, Steve Kyler. Hi, Steve. How are you? I am well, fellas. You got Jeff Culkin coming in. That, that's a good dude right there. Known yeah. that guy forever. You know what? That's that's a good place to start uh, with the All-Star. A big story around here, Steve, as you can imagine, is will Mike Conley finally uh, you know, get that All-Star berth that uh, a lot of folks out there, I would assume, including, including Jeff, believe that he's uh, maybe deserved for a little while now. What do you think are the chances that the Jazz get three onto this year's All-Star team? Yeah, that's always the tough part. But look, when you're the number one team, remember when Atlanta was number one a few years ago, they got four. You know, when the Detroit Pistons were on the final run, they had four. Um, so it's not out of the question, especially when you're, you know, look, the Jazz are the best team in the Western Conference, and that's not the same as being the best in the Eastern Conference. You know, they're better than the Lakers. They're better than the Clippers. They're better than the Blazers. And they've got guys that are playing career years. You know, I think it's pretty safe to say Donovan Mitchell's a lock. I think it's pretty safe to say Rigo Bear is probably right there in, in the front court. You know, the challenge with Mike Conley is he's a guard and reserves in the guard. You're going to beat out Kawhi Leonard. You're going to beat out, you know, Damian Lillard. You're going to beat out, you know, start, you can start to play the numbers game of only 12 guys. You know, and I think that's the big thing. I think certainly deserving, long-time deserving. Um, I do think assistant coaches who are the ones that really weigh in on this a lot um, have a lot of respect for Mike Conley, and I think we've seen it over time. The guys that are long overdue for all-star nods can sometimes get in when they have that kind of a career year. So, you know, Mike Conley deserving. He's been deserving a number of years. I think he got lost in Memphis. I mean, you think about some of those grind, you know, grind years in, in Memphis with Marcus Gasol and, and Zach Randolph. They were deserving, but it was Memphis, and they weren't as good as maybe everybody else. This year, I think there's no argument that the Jazz are good enough to have the players. I think he's having a year to deserve the players. Question is, is will he beat out maybe some other guys that maybe higher profile stars? Forgive my ignorance on this, Steve. Maybe you know or have a suspicion one way or the other, but there's another member of the Jazz involved in the All-Star game, and that's Quinn Snyder, who will coach one of the teams. Does that give him, I don't know, does that give his say-so a little more oomph or not at all? Not at all. Um, You know, every coach, actually, you're, you're not supposed to vote for your own players. Um, you know, that's okay. really kind of the rule of it is, you know, that kind of weighs out or removes out that kind of, you know, I'm going to just vote for all my guys. Um, and it also removes the pressure of, hey, coach, why didn't you vote for me? Um, <laughs> so there's, there's two parts to that. But, you know, it's the assistant coaches that really weigh in. Um, you know, most teams are, are having the assistant coaches do it. And, you know, it's kind of one of the, the, the perks of being the assistant coaches being involved in that. Um, and those are the guys that will really scout teams, you know, as much as head coaches you know, run the game on game night, you know, the assistant coaches really get into the game film and really understand the nuance. And sometimes that's why there's controversy. They're like, how did this guy get in and that guy not get in? Because the assistant coaches sometimes see those intangibles and they see those things that matter. And so it, it, I think the scenario is there for Mike Conley to get in. Um, I think the assistant coaches would make a great decision doing that. But like I said, there are a lot of really good guards in the Western Conference. I think it helps Mike a little bit that James Harden moved west or moved from the west to the east. You know, that's one more spot that opens. But, you know, again, I think that he's got a really, really good case this year. And really it's because the Jazz are sitting at the top. 
Steve Kyler from Basketball Insiders with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, Steve, I want to ask you a, really a question about how the Jazz are, are playing right now, the way that uh, they're, they're playing offensively, but a little exercise first. Uh, take yourself back to when you watched the Utah Jazz play under Jerry Sloan for a second, all right? If I would have told you that one day this Jazz team would shoot 55 threes in a game and make 28 of them, <laughs> What would you have said? Yeah, Jerry Sloan will have lost his mind. You know, I, I, I remind people a lot is if you go back and look at, say, Larry Bird, right? We talk about Larry Bird being one of the best shooters in the history of the game, 3.4 threes per game on his career. Like, they just didn't shoot the volume of threes. You know, Steph Curry shooting 13 threes on average in his career. So just the volume of threes has gone up. But the math says it should. And I think we're seeing the teams that can really shoot the ball at a high clip. You know, shooting is a is a premium. And when you can get guys like Joe Ingles that can just really light it up from three, you know, that's the big difference maker because 40% from three is better than 50% from two. And you can't get to 50% from two as a team anymore. It's really, really hard. Um, so, again, the game, I think, has evolved. But no question, I don't think Jerry Sloan would have ever allowed a player to shoot as many threes as, as the Jazz as a team. Steve, do you think that Rudy Gobert should be an MVP candidate? You know, that one's always tough. And, you know, the, the knock on Rudy is that, you know, he's not a 25, 30-a-game scorer type guy. But when you look at everything that he does as a player, you know, he's a double-digit scorer, double-digit rebounder, one of the best rim defenders in the game, you know, almost three blocks a game. You know, that's incredible production from a guy that doesn't need a lot of plays run for him. You know, you're not running actions. I mean, a little bit of pick and roll and certainly him sprinting the rim, but it's not like you're doing all these post-ups. You think about Shaquille O'Neal and how many touches, you know, he got to be an MVP caliber big or say Dwight Howard and how much of a focal point he had to be when he was in Orlando or in Houston, you know, to be one of those top premier guys. Rudy's hugely productive, not even being the third option some nights offensively. Um, so I think the case is there, but, you know, it's hard. Look, you know, Damian Lillard's having an incredible year in Portland. Um, LeBron James is, you know, almost single-handedly carrying the Lakers most nights. You know, James Harden has had an incredible year. Kevin Durant was looking like an MVP again. You know, there's a lot of guys, and I think this is a interesting time in NBA basketball. I think about the last five years, we legitimately had five or six guys that you could say, if they won the MVP, it was justified. And there were times in the NBA where the second best MVP guy wasn't even close. Now it's usually a race between five and six guys every year. And we'll be certainly having one of those years. And I think the Jazz, you know, it's the intangible part, right? It's, it's the other stuff that he does that doesn't show up in the box score that gives people argument to kind of say he's not this or he's not that. But I'll tell you, everybody on that roster thinks he's an MVP. What do you think about the role that Jordan Clarkson has carved out for himself? Would you have uh, guessed he'd be this type of player when he first got into the league with the Lakers? Um, you know, it's always tough. You know, I always go back to, like, um, you know, there are a few. When you think about, like, Lou Williams, when you think about, you know, it, it, those guys come into the league, they're kind of heralded, maybe they're going to be this, and it's like they're just not good enough to be starters. And then they get moved to the bench, and then all of a sudden they're those energy pop guys. 
and have talked to enough players to understand exactly how difficult it is to come off the bench and be a guy that can give you 20. Um, that's a very, very hard thing, to be cold, not be in a rhythm, come out and know that you're probably going to be in for six minutes in the first quarter, maybe four, and you've got to get going and then go sit down. Or you've got, you get going and then coach pulls you out. You know, finding those energy guys that can play hugely productive basketball in spurts and not have to be in the starting lineup, you know, is rare. But then there's also the gift of that, right? You know, usually when you're the second guy or you're the bench guy, you're now getting the starters' touches. So I think Jordan has evolved his game, but no question. I think, you know, he expected to be a bigger starter, starter type level guy when he came to the league has certainly found a role in Utah that really plays to his strengths. And I think he's really learned how to maximize playing from the bench in much the same way of a Jamal Crawford or a Lou Williams, you know, because that, that's a very special talent. It's a big reason why we give an award for it. You know, that, that's so interesting, Steve, because there are times when, when Jordan Clarkson this year has not only been <laughs> as good as, any, as, as a starter, he's been the best player on the floor. Yep. And, you know, look, I, I think that goes to the you know, players, right? You know, think about how many players say, I want trade because my role isn't big enough, or I'm going to leave in free agency because I want to be a starter, not a bench guy, and to resign in a situation. And look, money's always a factor, but to resign in a situation that says, I'm not going to be in front of Donovan Mitchell, you know, I'm not going to be in front of Mike Conley some nights. Um, you know, that, that takes a lot of confidence in yourself as a player and, and a belief in what you're doing as a team. So it, it's rare. I mean, if you think about it, Lou Williams on almost any other team is probably a starter. Um, he's happy being six man in with the Clippers. And I think Jordan Clarkson, much the same way, he could go to, you know, a lesser team and maybe be the starting guard, um, but he wouldn't be having the success that he's having as, as the six man in Utah. Steve, the Lakers are in town to take on the Jazz coming up uh, tomorrow night, and it's just amazing to me. I, I honestly thought after you know LeBron made the finals run in the championship last year, I, I you know what I thought we're not going to see LeBron until March. You know he's going to take <laughs> some time, and you know there's a he's a, you know getting up in age and all this, and not only has he not missed any time and performed you know admirably, but now they're without Schroeder, they're without Anthony Davis, and I know they lost against the Wizards in overtime, and that's a tough one. But, uh, I mean, it's amazing what the, the Lakers are asking of him, and, and he's coming through. Yeah, and, you know, every so often people are like, you're going to take a game off for, you know, load management. And you're, no, I'm not. Like, he's just not about it. Now, to be fair to that discussion, you know, LeBron was one of the ones that didn't want to see the season started uh, in December. You know, he was okay with leaving Christmas because of the wear and tear. But when it ultimately got decided, he was very clear with the Lakers that, you know, if I'm coming, I'm coming to play. I'm not coming to sit or sit out a few weeks. Um, LeBron's a rhythm player. He has been his whole career. Um, one of the things LeBron has done more years than not is really invested in his body. He travels with his own performance and training guys. He's invested in every technology solution that exists in kind of preparing himself. He, he eats well. He's never been kind of the crazy party guy that some NBA players are. Um, and I think it's given him longevity. And I think it goes back to – you know, he's a, a freak of nature in terms of his size and his physicality. And, you know, the fact that he hasn't had a major injury is, is kind of amazing. But, again, he prepares his body and he takes his body and his training and his routine really, really seriously. And I think is why he's had such longevity. And, again, it's kind of like Tim Duncan. I used to do this for years. Like, okay, maybe this is the year Tim Duncan will fall off. 
I've learned don't bet against Tim Duncan, you don't, don't bet against LeBron James. Um, and he just, it's like Tom Brady. Like, he seems like he's got three more years in him. Um, and it's amazing. And he just gets better. Like, that's usually not characteristic of NBA players, that you get better as you get older. And LeBron is getting by now more on craft and true skill than maybe on power and athleticism earlier in his career. Steve, you edged by it earlier in the conversation, but uh, a question for you. I know the Nets, a lot of people think they're going to shape into a terrific team by come the postseason. But how much better is the West than the East in your estimation? Well, you know, the one thing I'll say is I, I think the top teams, you know, when you talk about the Philadelphia 76ers and, you know, certainly when you're talking about, say, Brooklyn, you know, they're an edge better than everybody else. Um, the best teams, the top five-ish teams, live in the Western Conference. The next two live in the Eastern Conference. And the middle of the NBA lives in the East. When you look at, say, Indiana, Toronto, you know, Chicago, Charlotte, you know, a underperforming Miami Heat team, if those teams were in the Western Conference, if they're 500, they'd be lucky. Um, so the, the better part of the NBA plays in the West, and it has for a number of years. And, you know, look, there's a reason. Star players want to move to California. Star players want to play in warmer weather. Um, those teams usually have the bigger ability to go out and spend money. Um, so there's just a lot of things. And, you know, Golden State was kind of sitting at the top for a while as well. So, you know, it, it success breeds success to a certain extent. A lot of the teams in the Eastern Conference have been rebuilding or are rebuilding for a while. When you think about Orlando, rebuilding forever. Charlotte, rebuilding forever. Atlanta has been rebuilding forever. Um, you know, the Knicks have been woeful for almost two decades. So, you know, some of these teams just haven't been able to put it together to make the progression. And when you look at, say, Utah, built through the draft, right? Rudy, Donovan, these guys coming up, finding Joe Ingles, getting good free agents, building, getting to the top. When you think about Portland, you get two elite-level guards in Dean Willard, C.J. McCollum. You know, keep growing around those guys. You're going to stay in the hunt. Um, you know, the Lakers being able to go get marquee guys, the Clippers getting Kawhi. You know, you get to jump to the front of the line when you're a marquee destination or when you get the draft right. When you get the draft wrong, you usually end up at the bottom longer than you want to be. Steve, thank you so much as always. We uh, look forward to it when you have a chance to drop by. Anytime, fellas. Be well. Back at you, Steve. Thank you. Steve Kyler, our friend from Basketball Insiders.